The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills your enemies. Nelson Mandela said that. If you guys don't know the story, he was um, a political prisoner in South Africa, who after he was freed from prison and became the president of South Africa, reconciled with enemies, reconciled with those that he'd even imprisoned him and imprisoned his countrymen. So let me say that quote again. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills your enemies. Somehow it seems good and right to want those that have hurt you to not just pay for what they've done to you, but to really suffer for what they've done to you. Let me explain what I mean by that. Meaning, it's not enough for them just to have to pay like it's a fine, right? Like the penalty that they owe for. You want them to have to really, really hurt when they pay. The the largest um, settlement in all of American history was uh, when 46... um, State attorneys general sued four tobacco companies, and it became a class action lawsuit that landed on about $206 billion to be paid out over 25 years. $206 billion, and the tobacco companies, as you can imagine, were sued for the extreme cost to our nation in healthcare, in debt, and you know, people who've died because of cancer and all kinds of diseases that were the, the result of tobacco use and misuse. And, and so on behalf of people that were sick and died, these states sued, and that was the settlement. And, and more currently, uh, there's lawsuits happening right now across the uh, nation, very similarly to the one uh, against these four tobacco companies, and that is that um, states municipalities are suing the manufacturers and the distributors of opioids for uh, wrongful marketing, wrongful distribution, and uh, they're basically for similar reasons, the healthcare costs, the law enforcement costs, totaling about $75 billion a year in uh, expenses and liability that it's put on states, governments, and uh, others because of the misuse and the abuse of opioids, right? And, and when you hear that, you're like, good. Because you, you and I, this isn't, the people who've died from the opioids, it's, they're not numbers. We know their names. And it's our story, it's really personal. It's our stories, it's not statistics. And for that reason, we agree that someone should pay. In fact, they should pay a lot. In fact, we're not quite sure how much they should pay. Because if I were to say to you, well, should they just pay back the costs to the government, $75 billion a year? Many of you would start doing the math in your head and say, well, wait a second. There's families that have lost loved ones. What do they get? And what about our hearts that are broken? I mean, what do we get out of it? I mean, these people should pay. And suddenly what we start to feel is it's never going to be enough. It doesn't matter how much they pay. It would never be enough. Because how do you put a price tag on a human life? How do you put a price tag on human suffering? So $206 billion can't be nearly enough for what the tobacco companies did to the families that they decimated. And no matter what the settlement is on these opioid uh, companies, the manufacturers, the distributors, it, it won't be enough. 
Because what we really want is not for them to pay. We want for them to be punished. And we do the same to each other. Follow me. Someone hurt you. And because they hurt you and you carry that hurt, they should pay. And so suddenly we shift from being the victim to being the judge and the jury, and we decide how much they should pay. In essence, how much they owe us. But no matter how much they pay, it's never going to be enough because we don't just want payment. We want punishment because we've been hurt. But more than hurt, we're angry. And more than angry, we're bitter. And that bitterness doesn't just drive tears. It drives hot tears. Tears where someone needs to not just pay, but they need to suffer. You need to suffer the way I've suffered. And you know what? If you made me suffer, then you should suffer more because I didn't deserve what you did to me. So you not only owe, but you deserve to suffer. Jesus came along and he met some people. He met an entire nation of people that felt this way. Talk about the nation of Israel that was oppressed by the Roman Empire. So they experienced political oppression. They were abused. Their their fellow countrymen were murdered. They were cheated. They were overtaxed. Their women were raped. Their men were abused and treated like slaves and even murdered. Their children were taken advantage of. And suddenly, imagine uh, people that are perpetually and constantly being taken advantage of and abused. The, the, the level of anger, the level of hate, the level of hurt begins to rise. It rises past wanting payment. And it gets to the point of demanding punishment. And so when Jesus came along and Jesus heals the sick, Jesus gives sight to the blind, Jesus raises the dead, they see in him a king, a king that is powerful enough to overthrow the Roman Empire, to punish the Roman Empire with the power of God. And so they came to make Jesus king. Jesus, knowing that they wanted to make him king, pulled back. And he began to teach them. His teaching was this, that I have not come to establish a political kingdom, but to be the king of your hearts. And so then he began to teach them what it's like when God becomes the king of your heart. And in that teaching, he taught them how to pray, how to talk to God. When God's the king of your heart, then how do you talk to him? And so when he teaches him how to pray, he he doesn't say this. He goes, here's how I pray. He goes, here is a way you can pray. And so let's jump in and we're going to read this prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter six, and we're going to read through most of it. He, he, He teaches us to pray this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You see it? Your kingdom your work, would it come in us so it can grow through us? Your will be done on earth as it's already established and legislated in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
when I spoke about this previously, I said, if you have anything beyond your daily bread, then you have more than enough. You've experienced the overwhelming generosity of God. And if you have more than your daily bread, maybe it's not for you to have more, but for you to give more. Okay, we'll keep going. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so what I want you to do is I want you to read this last line with me. I'll read it and then you read it. Hey, by the way, regardless of which campus you're at, I want you to join with us and I want you to respond in reading this out loud. Ready? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, some of you, maybe you've prayed this and maybe the religious tradition you grew up in or maybe the kind of church you grew up in, but Jesus is teaching us a model prayer. Here's a way for you to pray. And the principle that jumps out of this one line, so each week, what I've been doing in this series is I've been taking apart this prayer and saying, here's the principle you can apply to your life. And there's a principle that jumps out of this sentence and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Suddenly Jesus shifts the focus. Because you're angry, you're hurt, You're demanding more than payment. You're demanding punishment. And your tears have turned hot. And anger drives your politics. Anger drives your personal relationships. He goes, let me me teach you a way to pray that will transform your life. In fact, of all the different lines in this prayer, this may be the one that will most transform your life. So let me unpack it for you. What's the principle? The principle that he's giving in this, that I hope you write down, hope you apply it, is forgiven people, forgive people. I want you to take a moment, maybe pull out your smartphone, type that in, use your thumbs, maybe, maybe use a uh, tablet. At the very least, pull out a pen and paper and write this down. Forgiven people, forgive people. That, that's what Jesus was teaching us to pray. And the principle of that prayer is that forgiven people forgive people. What's um, challenging is that similar to these, um, the largest settlements in all of history, $206 billion from four tobacco companies and what may become an even larger settlement against the uh, opioid distributors and opioid manufacturers because of the because of the $75 billion of costs piling up on an annual basis. It's that what we recognize is that when others have hurt us and they owe us, then they they go around carrying a note, a debt. Somebody owes us. And then it, it piles up compound interest. But the truth is, if somebody owes you, then you probably owe someone else, don't you? You, you probably have hurt someone else. Now, we all, we all don't want to admit it, but the truth is we probably said the wrong thing. We've, we get mad when somebody cuts us off, but then we hope that they let it go when we cut them off. We, we get upset when somebody looks at us the wrong way, but then we hope that they overlook it when we look at them the wrong way. We, I could keep going, right? The truth is we've hurt other people. And, and so what happens to the debt we owe? Well, it compounds, doesn't it? The problem is, it's not just that we owe each other debt. Where does this debt come from? Well, there's something even graver, and that's what Jesus starts with. He goes, uh, 
Father, forgive us our debts, even as we also have forgiven our debtors. It starts with us turning to God. And what Jesus is pointing out is that we have a grave debt with God. And this grave debt with God causes us to then hold debts against others. See, here's the deal. We, we carry guilt, and so we want others to feel guilty. We carry shame, and so we want others to be shamed. We're embarrassed by the pile of debt that's built up in our life, and so we want to point out the debt in other people's lives. So we carry a deep great spiritual debt. And what we do is we try to cut it up into little accounts and share it with everyone else. I'm going to take my debt and I'm going to give away to everyone else. So you owe and you owe and you owe. And because everyone owes, you know, I'm kind of off the hook. And so Jesus is teaching, he's talking about, he says, Father, forgive us our debts, even as we also have forgiven our debtors. And, And so Jesus tells a story really to capture the heart of this prayer. Now, before I just move on, I want to make a really important point. Jesus, when he's teaching in this prayer, remember, this is a model prayer Jesus is giving us, not a prayer he would pray, because it wouldn't make sense for Jesus to say, Father, forgive me, even as I forgive those who sinned against me, right? Because Jesus did not sin. And if that was the whole point of Jesus coming, was Jesus, the perfect God-man, becomes one of us. He who knew no sin took on our sins. We'll get to that in just a moment. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Father, forgive us, even as we also have forgiven those who have debts against us. So to help us get this mindset or help us understand this, much later, Jesus tells a story. Jesus was good about telling stories. And so in this story, which we're gonna jump ahead to Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus tells this story to make this point. Therefore, The kingdom of heaven, wherever God is king, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him a thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Hold on, before you move the screen, uh, before you move to the next passage, let me me unpack this for a moment. A thousand bags of gold. Okay, a bag of gold is worth about like 10 years wages. So here's a man who owes about 10,000 years worth of work, okay? 10,000 years. So we're talking about like 500 lifetimes. I don't know how many, well, actually, if we could do the math, we'd be like, no, no, that's actually almost, yeah, like 500 lifetimes, like 20 years of worth of work. And so what Jesus is doing is Jesus is making a point that this guy owes his master like 10,000 years worth of work, like 500 lifetimes. I mean, if he lived 500 lifetimes, he would then pay it off. The problem is interest. So how much interest is on 500 lifetimes worth of work? Well, let's just, let's do small numbers here. Like let's just use 10%. And so here's the problem with this. If every year that he owes it, he's gonna owe 50 more years worth of work. So wait, every year, I never pay down any principal because I only pay off one of the 50 years worth of interest I'm accumulating. Hopefully you're keeping up with me, ready? So so he owes 500 lifetimes worth of work, but every year it's gonna add on 50 more. 
So every year he works, he's getting deeper and deeper in debt. You, you following me so far? Okay. So then, now let's jump ahead to the next passage. Jesus says, he goes to the master, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold in order to repay the debt. Meaning your whole family is going to help pay for this debt and you're going to work your entire lifetime. We know you'll never pay it off, but you're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to work until your whole family is dead and there's no one else to work. Maybe we'll have your grandchildren work to pay it off. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. A debt this man and his wife and his kids could never repay. If all of them worked their entire life, they would never repay it. If they sold everything they had, if they sold everything their grandchildren had, everything their great, 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 great grandchildren had, they would still never pay off the debt. And so the master cancels the debt they could never pay. You kind of get the sense of where Jesus is going with his story? His point is this. Your challenge is to simply be forgiven. You and I, we're, you're probably at least a little bit aware of how you're doing financially. My gut tells me that most of you have a little bit of an idea of how you're doing. You at least have a general range. I'm doing really bad financially, and I'm in debt, and my debt is piling up, and I'm constantly putting things on a credit, and I have to get another loan, and I'm getting a payday loan, and I'm using next week's pay to pay yesterday's bills, or you're doing, you're doing okay, you're kind of getting by, you're kind of just, you're living month to month, paycheck to paycheck, or maybe you're doing good, and you're saving up money, you're able to take a portion of your paycheck and put it aside into savings, or maybe you're saving for vacation or for a new car, or maybe you're doing really well. And you, you've been able to put a, a portion of every paycheck aside and maybe you've saved enough that you could actually, right now, you could retire and live well. You have an idea. And one of the reasons why you and I have an idea of how we're doing is if you're spending, you get this crazy thing called a bill. And if you don't pay it, you get more bills. And if you don't pay those, you start getting phone calls, like lots of them. People start calling you and debt collectors start harassing you. And then they show up at your house. And if you haven't paid for your car, they take it. And if you don't pay for your house, they kick you out. And they take it. It's crazy. It doesn't really matter whether you keep track. They'll keep track for you. And if you owe debt, they're going to get paid. They might not be able to make you work, but you'll work for it. And if you don't pay your debts... When you work in the future, they're going to get their money from you, right? Okay, you with me so far? It's interesting how we might be very aware of how our financial accounts are doing, but we're not very aware of how we're doing in our debt to others and to God. And so Jesus tells a story to help us understand, and he uses a story, and Jesus is good at using hyperbole, meaning he exaggerates things. So in this story, now he's not exaggerating that you and I owe 500 lifetimes worth of debt. Now guess who the master is? That's God. And so Jesus is making the point that you and I owe a debt to God of sin. What is sin? Sin is when we don't do what God calls us to do. 
When we, di- when we disobey God, when we ignore God, when we do not do the commands of God and we do what we want, we spiritually sin. And sin leaves us spiritually bankrupt and in debt. Okay, in debt, like if you worked 500 lifetimes, you don't pay it off. In fact, while you're working, you're getting 49 more lifetimes of debt on top of it. The point is this, you could spend all of this life and all of eternity trying to pay back your spiritual debt, and no matter how many years you spend in eternity, you'll owe 50 times more forever and ever, because that's the consequence of spiritual sin, where you've turned your back on God and do what you want. But God, listen to me carefully. So this is the whole mission of Jesus. He comes to earth, God becomes one of us. God, who knew no sin, took on our sin. What does he do? He takes your debt and your debt and my debt. Every one of our debts, which were 500 lifetimes worth of debt, he took it all. All of our eternal death sentence, he put on himself. Now, here's the thing, right? Most of us, when we hear the word sin, like we owe something to God, we we think of sin like a mistake, a minor misdemeanor that results in a fine. But Jesus talked about sin like a capital crime that results in the death penalty. Did you catch that? Sin is not a minor misdemeanor that deserves a fine, but a capital crime that deserves an eternal death sentence. And so Jesus came to earth. He took our eternal death sentence on himself so that when he died, he died once for all, canceling everyone's debt. So anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin, their sin debt removed, their sin debt canceled. So when you jump back to the story of Jesus talking and he's saying this man came to his master and he owed him a debt of of like 500 lifetimes worth of debt and the, the master takes pity on him and cancels the debt. The master absorbs the debt. Jesus absorbed our debt. So when we believe in Jesus by faith, we believe that he died on a cross to pay, not just to remove, but to pay the penalty of our eternal death sentence. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead and in the power of his resurrection, we receive new life because Jesus who rose from the dead, the spirit of God gave Jesus life And that same spirit of God, when you believe in Jesus, enters into you, forgives you of sin, and gives you new life. Now, this is critical. Follow me here. If God has forgiven you, and if God is willing to forgive 500 lifetimes worth of debt, what could you possibly do that God could not forgive? What could you ever do that God would not forgive? Oh, you you murdered someone? And you deserve... 40 years in prison, I think 500 lifetimes outpays that. And if God is willing to forgive that, what could you ever do that God would not forgive? Here's the deal. Some of you are carrying guilt and you believe God himself can't forgive you. I want you to hear this. God forgives. When you believe in Jesus by faith, God loves you and God forgives you. And God wants to free you from carrying the shame and the guilt and the pain that you're putting on 
on yourself because you believe you deserve to suffer. Some of you, you beat yourself up with guilt and you beat yourself up with shame and you beat yourself up with guilt and you believe that you deserve to pay and you believe you deserve to suffer. And some of you, you harm yourself and you sabotage relationships because you don't believe you deserve good things. But when you understand that Jesus Christ died on a cross, he paid completely for it. He suffered so you don't have to suffer. He died so you don't have to die forever in eternity. And he, he rose to give you life, forever life, new life. And now the key principle here would be this. You need to receive that. Some of you, you can accept that God forgives you, but you're not willing to forgive yourselves. And so you're carrying guilt and you're beating yourself up. Can I challenge you? It's time for you to forgive yourself. It's time for you to stop beating yourself up because of sin that God isn't holding against you. God isn't beating you up. If God can forgive you, I think you can forgive yourself. He paid for you to be free from sin, from guilt, from debt. Okay, but don't stop there. If you stop right there, and we only get this. You only got half of the good news. The, the good news is that God loved us so much that he became one of us to take our sin debt on himself, to die in our place, then rise from the dead, victorious over sin, over death, over eternal judgment. But that's half of the good news. The other half is found in the, the prayer. Let's jump back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. He says, so this is what I just talked about. Forgive us our debts. Father, forgive us our debts. The 500 lifetimes worth of debt I owe that every year I live is just going to add on 50 more. Father, forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus continues with that story about the guy who went to his master and owed all these talents, all these bags of gold. And so let's continue with the story. Here it is. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. In modern terms, this would be about $20. So remember, he's been forgiven 500 lifetimes worth of work. And now he has a friend who owes him 20 bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded. His fellow servant, similar to what he did to the master, fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Similar response. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. No, you will pay. Now, he could he put, all he had to do is work a couple days and he'd pay off the 20 bucks he owed him. In fact, you could go so far as to say he probably only had to work a couple hours. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. The key is this, forgiven people forgive people. So what does that look like? Forgiveness stops demanding payment. Would you write that down? 
maybe, maybe type that in. Forgiveness means I stop demanding payment. And I could add on another little line here. And punishment. When I forgive someone, I, just, I don't just stop demanding that they pay me back. I stop wishing that they would suffer. I stop cheering for karma to get them. I know I might not be able to get them, but boy, I might pray, God, you get them. Some of you, your prayer life, you, you figure that you can't get justice and maybe the justice system hasn't worked for you and you're like, well, they'll get it in eternity. They'll get what they deserve and more. But Jesus is teaching us to pray. Father, forgive me just as we also have forgiven those who owe us debt. What that means is forgiveness stops demanding payment. Listen to me carefully. In Jesus' story, he goes, you and I, we owe 500 lifetimes worth of debt. And every year you live, you just got to tack on 50 more. That's compound interest. And maybe someone else owes you 20 bucks. Here's what, here's what wrongs have a tendency to do. Someone has hurt you. We tend to exaggerate others' debt and minimize our own. Unforgiveness exaggerates the wrongs of others and minimizes their own. We think others owe us 500 lifetimes and we owe God 20 bucks. And what it is, is it's unforgiveness that's growing inside of us. I want you to think about the person that's hurt you. Someone's wronged you. For some of you, this is gonna be really hard. And this moment's gonna become a tearful moment. I'm not trying to do this on, with, with a lack of sensitivity. As your pastor, I've prayed over this moment. As your pastor, I want you to know that we, your pastors, we love you. We pray for you. And some of you are holding notes against people. And you're, you're issuing them statements on a monthly basis. And even if you don't issue them a statement, you're issuing it to God. God, you know what they did to me. And you're cheering for their demise and for karma to come back and get them. So listen to me careful. I want you to think about someone that's hurt you. Probably not the only one because you've all sinned, but you've all been sinned against. We've all hurt someone. We've all hurt God, but we've also all been hurt. So this is going to be hard to think of someone. You have two choices. Forgiveness or bitterness. Bitterness, in the letter to the Hebrew church, refers to bitterness as a root of bitterness. Because what bitterness does is it starts as a seed and it begins to grow deep in us. It infects our heart. It begins to affect our emotions. It begins to affect our thinking. Some of you, this is all you can think about. Some of you, you've got in yourself into emotional distress because that root of bitterness has grown into your emotions. Some of you, it's consumed your thinking to the point where you don't even work well. It's, the roots have grown into your thinking. Some of you, it's begun to physically affect you because it's grown into your physical body. It's hurting you spiritually. It's separating your relationship with God. That's what, root of, that's what a root of bitterness will do. And the scary thing is a root of bitterness leak poison. Truth is, we become like those we resent. Bitterness hurts us more than it hurts anyone else. And forgiveness heals us more than it heals anyone else. 
Your ability to forgive others is actually God's way of healing your heart, healing your emotions, your thinking, your work performance, your physical body. Some of you, if you could begin to forgive others, you'll become physically healthier. Some of you, you've been struggling with emotional stuff. You've been dealing with some mental issues. And you're going to begin to find freedom and healing as you begin to forgive others. Some of you are going to begin to find emotional renewal in your ability to forgive others, to release your demand for payment and punishment. Forgiveness stops demanding payment and punishment. Now, really quick, I got to give you a couple thoughts. Because some of you are going to get hung up because you think forgiveness means things it doesn't mean. Forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not saying, well, that didn't really hurt. No, it hurts so much that it required Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. That's real. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we pretend that it didn't hurt. It's not denial. It's also not approving of what they did wrong. It's not saying it's okay. Forgiveness acknowledges that what they did is so bad that it demands forgiveness. It demanded Jesus' death. Forgiveness also doesn't mean you wait until they apologize. You don't get to say, I'll forgive you when, because forgiveness is a command of God. If you have been forgiven, you forgive. Forgiveness, however, is also not a removal of justice. It doesn't mean that they don't need the consequence for what they did wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they're not going to have to go to jail, right? They, you can forgive someone who murdered a family member, but they still have to do the time because that's part of our legal justice system. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. This is a little bit of a weird one because so many of you have been tricked into believing that God uh, forgets all of your sins as if God has sin amnesia. No, forgiveness means the wound is healed. But there's a scar, and because there's a scar, there's a scar story. And every time you look at that scar, you can remember what happened. It just doesn't sting. There's just not bitterness attached to it. There's not hate and hurt attached to it. So I can remember what someone did, but forgive them by removing my demand for them to pay and be punished. Jesus doesn't say that God forgets our sins. When, he, when the psalmist writes, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, what that, what that means is that God no longer gives us what we deserve because of our sin. He removes the punishment for our sin from us. God is not up in heaven, sin and doesn't suffer with sin amnesia. He knows what we did wrong, but he chooses to see us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. He sees forgiveness when he looks at you. He sees someone redeemed and rescued from their sin when he looks at you. What is forgiveness? It's choosing to stop demanding payment and punishment. Forgiveness heals us. Forgiveness pushes the poison out. Believe it or not, Jesus loves you so much that he not only forgave you, but he gave you the power to forgive others. It's God's love that compels you to forgive. It's God's love that empowers you to forgive because forgiveness heals you. Your ability to forgive others is actually healing to you and it heals relationships. 
and it frees them from carrying a debt they should not carry. So, let's pause. You have, for each of you right now, there's two steps you're gonna take today. The first step is, how do I need to be forgiven? And don't just brush this one off. You came in carrying some notes. You owe God. Some of you, you've been minimizing your sin and you've been exaggerating others. And for you right now, I want you to hear God forgives, God loves. And for you, that first step may be to believe in Jesus by faith. For others of you, and maybe for every one of you, you cannot forgive others until you have received forgiveness. What fills, spills. So don't try to forgive others until you've been forgiven by God. But when you've been forgiven, you need to forgive. And some of you, you need to make a commitment today to go out and forgive. So let's pause. Would you, would you close your eyes for a moment at each of our campuses? Chambersburg, Cinemas, Wilson. I wanna challenge you. Each of you came in with a debt, 500 lifetimes, and it's adding 50 lifetimes every year. But right now, God wants to forgive you of debt. And there are some of you, you've never made a commitment to believe in Jesus by faith. And if that's where you're at today, you're ready to make that commitment to say yes to Jesus Christ, yes to God's forgiveness, yes to God removing your spiritual debt and giving you new life, free from guilt, free from shame. If that's you, can I encourage you to raise your hand high? Your hand being raised simply saying, yeah, I want my debt canceled. Yes, I want my spiritual uh, bankruptcy forgiven. If that's you, would you raise your hand high at each of our campuses? Would you raise your hands high? And as you're raising your hand, I wanna take a moment and pray over you. Jesus, thank you that we can come to you and we can pray, forgive us our debts, even as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, would you forgive us? Thank you that when you forgive, you remove, you heal, you cleanse us, and you empower us to become forgivers. So help us not only to receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, but help us to leave from this moment and begin to forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.